Welcome to Plans Are Booked, a podcast for every reader. I'm Molly Geller. I'm Stephanie Blackburn. And I'm Caitlin Madison. Welcome. So we love all of you for tuning in and listening and downloading and subscribing and liking and messaging us and giving us accolades and praise and whatnot, what have you. And we finally feel like we maybe had the sound together this week and then it took us 45 minutes to have the podcasting mechanism recognize all of our microphones. And we're not even on all three microphones. Steph and I are sharing a microphone. Um, The struggle is real. We are not techies. And um, this is a labor of love. So I'm glad that you are sticking with us because... Holy hell, it's a journey every time we sit down to do this. And we I don't feel, change anything. I feel like we're reminded of our age every time we try to do this solo. And I don't know if like 21-year-olds just know how to podcast, but we certainly are learning every single week when we gather again to try to get this right. I'm not like taking a dig at Barstool, but they hire like actual bozos there, like people that like barely can read. And they like produce podcasts. And now I'm like, are they savants? Like, what is, do they just have this one niche expertise and then they just like can't function anywhere else in their lives? Because I feel dumb almost every time we sit down to do this because I'm so bad and frustrated with technology every time we do this. I've said this to you guys in real life, but I have just a newfound respect for the podcasters I listen to every day. Most of them have professional producers, and it's obvious to me why people are paying someone to troubleshoot for them, because I think all three of us just almost became the head-exploding emoji over the last 30 minutes. This is just a desperate plea. If anybody wants to produce us, we could really use the assist, because we're losing a lot of precious podcasting time, I feel like, to just trying to get a basic setup rolling okay end rant that's it we're done we're not complaining anymore we love all of you thank you so much for tuning in welcome to plans are booked so let's catch up steph hosted a friendsgiving tell us about all the sides that you made i should preface that i am a vegetarian so therefore i do not by choice cook a turkey unless I have to. So we went with the typical mashed potatoes, gravy, sweet potato casserole, green beans, stuffing. Uh, What else did I make? Oh, corn casserole. An incredible cheesy garlic bread. Forgot about that. The corn casserole stands out to me every year. It is like the consistency of scrambled eggs, but it's this corn cheese extravaganza. It is so damn good. It's my favorite thing every year. Is this the fourth or fifth one we've done? Fourth? Fourth annual mm-hmm. veggie friends giving at Steph's. I will say I'm also a vegetarian, so I appreciate that I can eat every single thing that is on the menu for Friendsgiving. And honestly, you wouldn't have even really known or noticed that it was vegetarian. Everything was so freaking good. It's a little carb heavy, but I'm not sure anyone cares. No. People that are worried about carbs should just not participate in Thanksgiving. That's yes. The and also, on that. I would be remiss if I did not mention that Stephanie picked up special, like, takeaway, takeout containers for this that said on the top, thankful for leftovers. What? My coworkers commented on it. I've hosted a lot of parties in my day. I have never had custom takeaway bins. Pretty epic. Um, Steph and I also had an epic day. I had to get my car serviced, and that led into, do you want to go buy books, slash, give me a ride, slash, go to H Mart, which is this epic uh, Asian market that has like a food court in it and so we had ourselves an unbelievable day unbelievable i think between the two of us we bought like 13 books or something ridiculous and we actually have a special little something that steph got molly that she's going to open on air right now 
Steph is taking video because it's going to be that good. Um, so without further ado, let me just say, I believe this was in the romance section and I saw it and immediately knew there was no question. I had to get it for you. You guys can't see my face, but I was just doing the Kevin McAllister, I'm living alone eyebrow raise with excitement. So we're getting this on video. It'll be on the gram. I'm opening a paper bag with Hello Kitty on it. Everyone should know. Pink Hello Kitty. <gasps> this book is called The Matzo Ball. For those who don't know what the matzo ball is, on Christmas Eve every year in cities all around the world, Jewish single people gather for like the largest singles mixer of the year, and it's called the matzo ball. So without even having read anything about this book, and I'm guessing that that is the premise of this novel. I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, it's a we thing. We were thinking about matzo ball soup yeah. and that it was punny. It is punny. Right, but we didn't know it was an event. Now you know. We thought that this book was special and talked about a specific matzo ball that we didn't know yeah. that there was like a matzo ball, like it actually happened. Okay, so first of all, the back of this book begins with Rachel Rubenstein Goldblatt is a nice Jewish girl with a shameful secret. She loves Christmas, which is probably why you guys decided to get this for me since that is my December personality. Yes, we know. Um, wait a minute. Let's see if this says, uh, okay. Determined not to lose her book contract. Rachel's determined to find her muse at the matzo ball. Yeah. A Jewish music celebration on the last night of Hanukkah. I didn't know. You know, we've been friends for like 20 years. I didn't know that Jewish people had a matzo ball. Now, you know, in many years in Boston, it was on Lansdowne Street. And have you gone? I have not gone, mostly because friends or family have invited me for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Um, but it's usually like very well attended. What if, what if you go and that's where you meet your guy? Yeah. Should we like orchestrate my meet you? <laughs> do non Jewish people, do goys show up and go to this secretly and pretend they're Jewish? It is possible but i think it's kind of frowned upon so for example if you're on one of that's the a rom-com i would read slash watch i yeah. hope that there is a secret non-jew in this book maybe that's who becomes the mute what a plot twist that would be if <laughs> well, the muse wasn't jewish right so back in the day when i was on jdate the jewish dating app there were every now and again people who are not jewish and they would just say in their profiles I'm not Jewish, but I'm on here because I love the culture and like I would love to be in a family in which those are the things that are happening. And there's like mixed feelings about it. Some people are like, that's awesome. And I'd like to meet that person. And other people are like, this is a Jewish dating app. Please see yourself out. Well, also, it's like you don't want like the cultural Judaism aspect to be like a fetish. Yeah, because it could be those people could be creeping on there and be like. I don't even It's know. totally possible. I also just need to acknowledge that I myself bought a book a couple weeks ago, I think when the three of us read the Brookline Booksmith, called Kissing Kosher, which is also on my TBR pile. <laughs> and last year, in a holiday sale at Porter Square Books, like post-holiday, maybe it was like New Year's Day, I bought one, um, a Hanukkah-themed one. I can't remember if it's called Eight Crazy Nights or Eight Dates Over Eight Nights. I have quite a few Hanukkah-themed books now on the pile. I'm probably going to need to find out which one of those you think is worth reading. I will happily... For me. Yes, I will happily read all three. It could be this one. It could be the most. I do like the cover. The tagline on the cover of this book says, It's the Hanukkah event of the season and the feud of the century. Which, I've is said your, your many times... Trope? many times on this podcast that enemies to lovers is my favorite romance trope. So well done, the two of you. Thank you very much. So the other thing that we all did this past week was we went to the Wilbur Theater in Boston and we went to a book event for Lauren Graham because the paperback copy of Have I Told You This Already, part two of her memoir. Is it a memoir? It's essays. It's memoir based. I don't know. Um, 
the paperback came out November 15th. And so she did a book tour for it because as she explained at the event, when the actual book was released in hardcover, she had COVID and could not do a book tour. So she sat in the theater with, you know, everybody in their Gilmore Girls gear. We did not, none of us had anything on. I don't own anything Gilmore Girls, but there was a lot of like Luke's t-shirts and all sorts of whatnot, what have you, that are Stars Hollow reminiscent. And we listened to her gab for an hour and she's hilarious and you just want to be best friends with her. And she talked about being in the business and being in, you know, 60 minute dramas versus comedies versus, you know, being an English major and then going to theater school. And um, she had a friend of hers that she met at a drunken Melissa McCarthy party uh, moderate it. And that was great. And then she tried to squish in some Q&A's at the end, but there wasn't really a lot of time for that. But I'm excited to read the book. Yeah, me too. And I will say, I was seated at the end of the row where we were all seated together. There were four of us who went and the women who were sitting behind me were people who have attended the fan fest for Gilmore Girls in Connecticut every year. And they were talking about that at length before she started. So we were definitely surrounded by some hardcore Lorelei fans. And I also love the Gilmore Girls, not going to a fan fest level, but I've seen it all the way through many times. And I also love Parenthood. And I was a bit nervous for us to see her because I love her so much. And I thought, what if she's not as great as a real life person? And I felt like she was as good, if not better than I thought. I thought she was so personable, so charming, and so honest. She talked about some things that were challenging, like changing her major after her freshman year and feeling like she wasted an entire year of school. And she talked about just like the slog that is auditioning in LA. And I thought she was very human and also so kind to the audience. She kept sort of acknowledging little things. Um, and when it was opened up for questions, you could see she just wanted to take every single person who had a raised hand. Um, and it really made it feel worth it to me. We bought the tickets and thought the book would be included in the ticket price. It was not. So I think we went in kind of like, hope this is good. And I thought it really was. I also think that it was really nice to see that she can't stay on track. With, like she was just tangential the entire time. And I loved that because I feel like that's showing a little bit of herself in each character for sure. And also she looked fabulous in her, was that silk or velvet suit? It was a red flowered crushed velvet suit. It was awesome. She looked amazing. And also someone asked at one point, how is your hair so shiny? And she actually answered what hair care products she used, which I loved. I mean, she does have very shiny hair. It looks good. We also have to talk about another author moment that we had since we last recorded. Yeah. So we we made an announcement about books that were going to be discussed on the podcast one was a carly fortune book and one was a christina lauren book and molly's basically our social media guru and she put together some instagram posts that showed each of the books that was kind of like hey listeners heads up these are the books that we're going to be talking about if you'd like to get your hands on them before the episode airs and we've had a couple of authors interact with us on Instagram and it's been really lovely and positive and delightful. And like we fangirl and text each other and we're like, oh my God, they responded and we, they saw that we tagged them. And it's like, you know, we have like our one minute of glory. Um, but I just have to say, Christina Lauren, I don't know if it was Christina or Lauren or their PR person or... I don't know who it was, but whoever runs their Instagram commented <laughs> commented back to us that um, we put those books together in an episode because they have similar plot lines. And Molly, I believe, posted the Carly Fortune book first and then the Christina Lauren book. And then Christina Lauren, or their PR person, responded by saying, you know, ours was published first with a smiley face. Which they didn't really mean the smiley face. They were like, they, I don't know. I was like, I was really annoyed 
I was totally annoyed and we're spilling the tea on it because it's like we're giving you free promotion of a book that we liked. We're not making any money making this podcast. It's like literally our friends and family listening to it at this point. We're like struggling for an hour with sound audio, like in Steph's dining room, her sister's hiding in her bedroom. Like we're doing it for the love of this, right? Like because we like to hang out and because we think it's fun and it's a hobby. And then she poo-poos on it by like being like, well, actually ours came out first. And it's like, you know what? I don't want to freaking buy your books anymore. Like that really turned me off. And like, we're trying to do a nice thing and tag you in it and like include you in the process and like promo you. And like, you're kind of taking a, you're yucking my yum is what you're doing. You're yucking the yum. It was so surprising because Carly Fortune is a new author. She has published two books in very fast succession, but Every Summer After was her first book. And as often happens when someone's debut novel is good, it gets a lot of extra press because it's the first. Christina Lauren, they are so successful. They have so many popular books. They have so many fans. They're internationally known. And it felt like who on your team has enough time to be trolling Instagram, see that tag, and then take the time to respond with something that petty. So I had this other thought, which I haven't shared with either of you yet, but they have a lot of books. And they have a lot of books that I think could be really good movies. And I'm wondering if they're like not pleasant to work with. And that's why none of their books are movies yet. You know what I mean? Like, think about it. There are so many books that they've published that could easily. And I just wonder if they're like, I don't know. I I don't want to drag. I don't want to sink to their level and I don't want to drag them or whatever. But like, we're just some fans out here. And like, we could have lived without that. I'm just saying. I also feel like, um, all three of us are very much in the mindset of like women support other women and lift up other women. And there's enough pie for everybody. Like Carly Fortune can have a successful book about a summer at a lake. And so can they. It's not like if Carly Fortune's book is successful, their book is less successful. And I felt like their response to us, it just was very like all or nothing. You can only talk about us or you can only talk about her. And I feel like one of the best things about the book talk and bookstagram community is that everybody wants to help lift up all the great books, not just certain authors' books. It was lame. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. Let's talk about um, our signature book for this episode, which Caitlin brought into the orbit for all of us. Um, and she's holding it up right now, all on nearly 500 pages. It's a tome. Um, the Fourth Wing is the book that we're going to be talking about by Rebecca Yaros. And I will give everybody a description. I will add a couple of things that I think should have been in the description. And then I will get into how we arrived at a book about dragons, which is not totally any of our styles. <laughs> Okay. The the front says fly or die. 20-year-old Violet Sorengill was supposed to enter the scribe quadrant, living a quiet life among books and history. Now the commanding general, also known as her toughest talons mother, has ordered Violet to join the hundreds of candidates striving to become the elite of Navarre, dragon riders. But when you're smaller than everyone else and your body is brittle, death is only a heartbeat away. Because dragons don't bond to fragile humans, they incinerate them. With fewer dragons willing to bond than cadets, most would kill Violet to better their own chances of success. The rest would kill her just for being her mother's daughter, like Zayden Rearson, the most powerful and ruthless wing leader in the rider's quadrant. She'll need every edge her wits can give her just to see the next sunrise. Yet, with every day that passes, the war outside grows more deadly. The kingdom's protective wards are failing, and the death toll continues to rise. Even worse, Violet begins to suspect leadership is hiding a terrible secret. Friends, enemies, lovers, everyone at Bastioth War College has an agenda, because once you enter, there are only two ways out. Graduate or die. Dun, dun, dun. 
So I found this book because of book talk. There is nothing in my algorithm that suggests that a book about dragons would be up my alley. So I follow a bunch of people on book talk and there were a ton of people that were like, this book has everything, adventure, dragons, love triangle, spice, you know, battles. There's like a, you know, they have factions in this society that they live in and la da 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 da. It was, the descriptions were sort of sounding like a combination of Divergent and Hunger Games. Um, and it had a female heroine and, you know, it was, it's pretty clear from the get-go that there's kind of like two men that are love interests for her. And her mom is this like huge, like battle war hero that has like a very high position, um, within their rankings, um, which also felt very Divergent-esque because there's a female leader in that as well. And the author, Rebecca Yeros, um, has a military background. She, her husband's in the military. And um, so there's a lot of like rankings and, you know, battles and, you know, moving up and chests and, yeah, and be sent, cadets being sent out and trainings and all sorts of stuff. And um, so then I was talking to one of my friends. I don't think I told you guys this. I was talking to my friend, Natasha, shout out Natasha. Um, and she was, she travels a lot for work and her sister-in-law was like, Hey, like you're in so many airports this week. Can you see if you can get this book for me? It's called fourth wing. It's going for like $80 on eBay. This was like a couple months ago. And Natasha was like, Caitlin, because she knows I'm a reader. And she's like, Caitlin, have you heard of this book? And I was like, yeah, I've heard of it. I didn't know that people like couldn't get their hands on it. So I did like an independent book search and I found copies of it at Belmont Books and I called them and said, can you reserve one for me? And I went and got it. And then I posted a TikTok being like, if people in Massachusetts are looking to get this book, they have five more copies at Belmont Books, like run and get them. And people actually did. Okay, so right before I started reading this book, I read the first four books in um, Sarah Moss's series that starts with a Court of Thorns and Roses, um, which Caitlin, I know you tried and could not really get into, and that's fine. Um, but what I found interesting between these two books, because I read Fourth Wing directly afterwards, is I don't know if this is giving too much away to people who have not read um, Fourth Wing, but in the beginning of both books, there's a female protagonist and there's a person who seems like their likely romantic partner. And that person in both series wants to basically bubble wrap the protagonist and, you know, kind of put her in a little box and keep her safe. And in both series, it's the dark, dangerous character um, who ends up bringing the person's powers out and, like, empowering them to sort of save themselves. And I think maybe that's why both books have become so big on book talk is they're both like very like it's a romance, but the person is not trying to change the protagonist. He's trying to basically embolden them to fight for themselves, to save themselves type thing. So it's so interesting that you called it a romance because I went into it thinking that it was a romance book, romance. which I think was my first mistake. I thought this is a romance book, but just with dragons. That's kind of what I went in thinking. And I read a lot of saucy books, which we've talked about here at length. And I just was waiting for it to get steamier. And it took until page 278 for these two to smooch. And I was running out of patience. So I feel like I went in with just like not the right expectations. I think we misled you because it, they're definitely it's not a romance book well earlier it's a fantasy when, book yeah earlier when caitlin was talking about hunger games and divergent and you Steph had said that to me also when we were talking about whether or not i should read this i loved those series like i raced through them and so i thought well surely i'll like this it's like romance plus that same kind of setting and atmosphere and i was just on the struggle bus 
fair. Um, if that's what you thought it was going to be. But Hunger Games, I mean, that has romance, but it's not a romantic book. It's fighting to the death. It's survival. The whole setting is a war college. The main character, Violet, like her mom's a general that like makes her go through this flight training that her body is not really built for because no Soren Gale will be a scribe, even though the dad was a scribe. <clears throat> so I just, it's a really good book. <laughs> I, I, totally. I think if I went into it thinking this is like another dystopian tale, I would have felt differently. But I think because of all the people I saw online that were recommending it, many of whom were talking about Zedin and about, you know, so many black heart emojis, countless black heart emojis. I was like, okay, this is going to be great. And listen, by the time I got to the parts where they're actually like acting on their attraction to each other, that was superb. It just yeah. took a long time. Well, I mean, he is a, sh can I say this? He's a shadow wielder. So, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty sexy. Um, but I think if you are somebody that likes books that really focus on like the sidekicks and the loyalty and the squad, like Harry Potter is not my favorite character in Harry Potter. Ron is. Ron, then Hermione, then Luna, then Neville. Those are my. And so those are the people that like I'm really into. And what kind of surprised me about Fourth Wing is that. Violet does end up being probably my favorite character. And like Katniss is not my favorite character. And Triss is also not my favorite character. But in Fourth Wing, and now I've read the second one, Iron Flame, I feel like Violet is my favorite character. Maybe Rhiannon. Tough call. She's Liam for me. Okay. All right. Um, so yeah, he is a really good character. On that same note, I feel like I've been reading some books since reading this book because what was that a couple months ago where side characters are not always really well developed and this was definitely a strength in this book is they're they're like fully flushed out characters and not just like someone to add a quick line here and there you know totally agree and um i think it's important in these books that where there's a character on a hero's journey that's like a quote-unquote chosen one I think it is important to have these people around to like keep them in check. Like I remember when you were puny and you couldn't even do such and such, right? Like, you know, there's always those, like some of my favorite moments are when Ron's like, oh yeah, Harry has these weird dreams and screams in his sleep. Like, ha ha ha. Like I know like a secret about the chosen one, the boy who lived, you know? And so I think it's really important to have those people around. And also Violet, she, you know, there's always the hero's journey aspect of like, oh, every hero is like an orphan of some sort. And she's not an orphan, but the person that she connects with the most, her dad, dies before the book even starts. And then her mother is this kind of like cold, badass bitch that is very well respected in the military, but she isn't very motherly. And, and then her brother's dead too. Her brother is dead and her sister is already a dragon rider and is like on the prowl, like doing whatever those people do. And so she doesn't really have anybody. So then she leans on these people even more and they become her family while she's at this college. So, yeah, I think it just has a really good cast of characters. I'm really nervous about the, the TV show. Is anybody else? I will say we know it's being adapted by Michael B. Jordan's production company, which I just love him. So I have faith that it will be done well. And because they decided to do it as a series and not as a movie, I think we're going to get more time and space for them to cover more elements of the story. Can I interject just for one little thing? Caitlin, I feel like you should introduce our audience to your connection to Michael B. Jordan. So, <laughs> humble brag. It's it's actually a humble brag if stuff made me do it. But I used to have a podcast about Friday Night Lights in 2009. 
when like uh, you know the podcasting equipment was like a headset that looked like you worked at McDonald's and you had your guests well the person that was hosting had the guests call into Skype and you recorded it on Skype and then you uploaded it to a website it was really not anything like it is now um but I interviewed Michael B. Jordan on my podcast, and I still have his cell phone number, <laughs> and I still have his Gmail address because he was like such a low man on the totem pole that his publicist basically did next to nothing for him. Like she was like, "Okay, here's Michael's email. Like you can talk to him about his schedule and when he's available to call in." And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> like sounds good." Now, granted, he had only been on like. He had been on a daytime um, soap opera. He had been in one season of The Wire, and then he got Friday Night Lights. So, like, he really was not a big deal. But I still was like, I mean, what you doing, Wallace? Like, I was really into The Wire. So, like, I was very starstruck. Um, so, yes, Michael B. Jordan is awesome. And he's very kind. And he came on my silly little podcast when he didn't have to and was awesome about it and i just love him i don't have anything bad to say about him all i really heard there is that you could still email and call him <laughs> so he got a gig i'm trying to even think what's like a big movie it wasn't black panther it was something else or did he get named sexiest man alive when he did those creed movies maybe he got something really big that like kind of bowled me over and i can't remember what it was but he got something major and it was like gq man of the year sexiest man a lot it was like something like that really <clears throat> made him even like even bigger and i sent him an email i didn't get a response but i sent him an email and i was like dude i think i said dude in the email i was like dude i don't know if you remember me i had you on my podcast in 2009 we talked about x y and z I mean, he he told me, like, like Brad Leland, the guy that plays Buddy Garrity, he goes, <clears throat> he told me, uh, he told me, like, oh, I'm kind of the mayor of the show. Like, I, you know, he was the only guy on the show that had actually played Texas high school football and won a state championship in his real life. And so um, I guess, like, the crew or whatever told Michael where to like get barbecue when he first got to Austin and so he walks in and it's like a total dive hole in the wall like nothing and he goes I walk in and who's sitting there shooting the shit but Brad Leland so he's like I ended up having like a three-hour lunch with Brad Leland and he like told me everything I needed to know about being on the show because he came in in the fourth season like a lot of stuff was already pretty well established so he's like come sit down I'll fill you in on like you know the ins and outs so that's the kind of guy he is um why am i talking about this oh he's producing the tv show yes so he's producing the tv show and i just if they don't get a budget that like makes good dragons the show's screwed like it, it looks like, like an hbo budget if it's like a cgi garbage what like i don't want this to be like the twilight movies revisited where it's like his skin barely glitters and like uh, those wigs that they all wore and you know mm. white powdered makeup yeah hell on earth speaking of the dragons um this is the first book i've ever read that had any sort of dragon character so I didn't know they can communicate with humans via the mind. Had you ever read any? Because I have. I had not. And do all dragons do that? And is that part of the lore of dragons? Um, I believe so. I started with, I think it's called Aragon. Um, that was it's a, a self-published. Yeah, Chris Paolini. Um, I remember reading that he and his dad had driven all their books around to libraries and that's kind of how he got his start and god i'm trying to remember but i'm pretty sure the dragon talks to him like through not like a voice out loud but like in his mind i'm so i'm thinking that's kind of like dragon lore i also think given how much the dragons talk in the story whoever they cast as the voice of the dragons is going to be extremely important i'm picturing idris elba for Taryn. Ooh, good one. And I think it's Michael Caine. 
fascinating. And the reason I think so for if people are probably like, what the hell are these girls talking about? Taryn is one of the dragons and he's like, he's like kind of curmudgeon and older and like super ferocious. He's super ferocious and like feared and revered and like, he's just really awesome. And everything that he says is just like completely exasperated and like, he never calls his rider by their name and like he always calls them a nickname oh this again like choose wisely he's always saying choose wisely and i'm like this is michael kane 100 percent. like sighing audibly you know because like michael isn't michael kane the one in the batman movie yes yeah yeah so Alfred. i think he could be really good i also was thinking is her name pronounced Andara? yes the younger dragon yes okay so I was hearing her in my head as Mindy Kaling's voice. <gasps> oh my God. When you read the second book, Molly, you are going to absolutely love that. You're going to love that. I was um, watching an interview with, um, oh my God, what is the author's name? Rebecca Yaros. Thank you. Sorry. Um, she was asked if people would have accents and she said she's imagining everyone as American, like that sort of English, which I thought was interesting dislike <laughs> yeah i think the dragons felt i don't know if it's weird to say foreign but they can you hear my scowl on the podcast because a no. very furrowed brow going for you but i also think um the casting of this for the main characters will be super interesting because i think there is so much like fan art out in the world of what people think Violet looks like and Zayden looks like and Dane looks like and Liam and all the various folks um, that when I picture them now, because I've consumed so many Instagram reels of the fan art, I'm really picturing those illustrations and it's hard to imagine who's going to step into those roles. So my issue is I picture, it's not an issue, but I picture Zayden as like the build of Victor Crumb from Harry Potter, but not the face because he's supposed to be like he's his features are supposed to be able to like cut glass and like it's always talking about the hands and the hair and like you know all of that. I was also thinking, and I think that I get both of you on board with this. I was thinking the guy that played Josh in um to all the boys I loved before could be a great great version of dane yes oh as dane yeah, as dane yeah totally works he's the right level of whiny yes he's a wannabe bonavere come on i also <laughs> yes i just quoted the movie no big deal i also feel like as we discussed in the last episode about boyfriends even though i tend to be very into the best friend like most times i just found dane so freaking annoying book two i'm waiting till you read book two here is uh, yes but also having read book two here is my without spoiling anything thoughts okay sort of like a in defense of <laughs> okay i'm listening so book two starts with um in their second year and they are constantly saying to each other don't get attached to the first years because the thing is they can die right immediately on the parapet so like you don't want to know anyone's name you don't want to get attached and at the beginning of fourth wing he's already survived his first year and she is someone who breaks very easily so i think i mean i don't want to like make excuses yeah, don't for say him. what his signet is or anything no i don't want to make excuses for him because he does behave badly throughout the book but i think in his mind she's not going to make it she's going to die through the first thing or the second thing she's not going to live through this and i think that's why he basically wants to like bubble wrap her and ship her off to a safe place so you're saying once i hear more about their headspace in the next book i will perhaps have better sympathy for his actions and attitudes i think so because i really did not like him in the first book and then when i got to the second book and they like harped so much on like don't get attached to any of the first years half of them are not going to make it i was like oh wait a second that's what dane was doing i think that's a good explanation without saying too much and also keep in mind that the second book has a lot of 
like war going on in it, like not necessarily in Navari, but like elsewhere that they have to concern themselves with. And interesting allegiances occur when you need to prepare for that sort of thing. And I'll leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also feel like whoever they cast as Liam, as Violet's sort of bodyguard person who watches over her, is going to have to be like outrageously handsome. They spend so much time in the fourth wing talking about how charming he is, how sort of like beloved he is by other people in the college, his allegiance to Zayden, of course. So I don't have someone in mind. Like I wasn't picturing anyone in particular, but I think if they do it right, he will add a very interesting element to the existing triangle of Violet, Zayden, and Dane. Yes. And I think that because Violet is supposed to be this very, very petite person that's like really quick, Jenna Ortega is just kind of who I imagine the whole time. Um, I think that she could pull off the half silver, half black hair. She's very small. It would make sense that she like would be seen as like a weakling that wasn't going to make it. Um, and I think that she could be really, really awesome. And I didn't really picture anybody else because I feel like that age of like 2021, 20, I don't really know a lot of actresses that can like pull that age off. So she's really the only one that came to mind. I can't remember if you, Caitlin, said this in one of our off-pod conversations about this book. About Kate Blanchett as Violet's mom. Did you say that? That was not me, but I effing love it. Okay, so I was thinking earlier today about who could play the mom. And she just came into my mind's eye as like, she can do dark, brooding, mean and she has sort of that intensity to her stare when she's doing those darker characters, but also I think has just intrinsically from the way she looks physically a certain femininity, even if she's being dark and brooding. I'm sure neither of you has seen Thor. It's not the first one. It could be the second one. And I apologize. My sister is going to kill me for maiming this, but she plays a dark character with dark hair and is gorgeous, but also terrifying. So she could definitely do it. Who's the, um, I think I'm mixing up my movies. Who's the really mean lady in Maze Runner? I don't think I've seen Or am, am I thinking of Divergent? Is Kate Winslet a mean lady in one of those? Oh, that, wait, was that the D Divergent series? Oh my god. Was, was that Divergent? <laughs> Moving on. That feels right. <laughs> Caitlin's going to live fact check it. But I also think there's a chance. This is when we need a producer, so I can just be like, is that right? And just point at them. Oh, it's right? Okay, great, great, great. Yes, it was. It was divergent. Okay. Yep. Into that. Into it, into it, into so it. So women named Kate playing the mean older generation character. Here's what I want to add for anyone who's listening to this and maybe has no idea if they want to read it. What I loved is that this author makes it so you can't get attached to any of the characters because she just is willy-nilly willing to off anybody um, in the first book, in the second book. It doesn't matter how big they are. Or gently maim. Sometimes it's a gentle <laughs> maim. But I like that when it's like no one's safe, you know? Like, I remember reading The Hunger Games and like, obviously I understood the premise, but like somehow my naive mind was like they're gonna find a way to not have to kill each other in the arena like that's not gonna actually happen and then they started killing each other so i feel like this is sort of similar and like you really can't get attached to anyone because anybody couldn't get burned by dragon eaten by dragon fall off of like you know the tower or i can't even think of how people died but like no one is safe it's not like a fluffy I mean, even Harry Potter in that way, there were some characters that I was like, did she really just kill them? Like, what? So I like being kept on my toes. No one is safe. It's fast paced. You know? There was one other fan casting that I did myself. I shouldn't say fan casting. Caitlin casting. Um, I don't know the actress's name. and I can't think of the name of the show that she was in, so I'm really crushing it. But um, for Rhiannon, what is the 
um what is the tv show that selena produced where the girl kills herself and then she sends all the tapes to everybody Thirteen, 13 reasons, reasons why? why. Yes, the girl in that. Um, Alicia Bow is her name. Alicia Bow. Do you know who but that at, is? At this point, like, how old are? I mean, I feel like they're going to cast people that we don't know because we're too old to know anyone this age group. Oh no, she's pretty young. I w- I would be into that. Couldn't you see her as a hip, like, squad leader? Yeah, okay. I still really wish we knew how long this is going to take. Something makes me feel like it can be like two years before we're watching this thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, everything's so backed up with the strike that they're just like catching up to things. Now. Like I just saw um, the cast of John B, whatever that's called. Outer Banks. Outer Banks. Um, can you guys tell that I've been at work all day? Um I just saw that they are filming now. They just started. So um, should we chat a little bit about what we're reading right now? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Sure. So I just finished a book called Check and Mate. Um, it's by Allie Hazelwood. And have we all read her other books, her adult books? Yes. yes. Okay. So this is her first, I guess, sort of YA, although it's more like 18 plus, I would say. Um <laughs> I mean, not, there's romance like her other books. It's just not quite so explicit. Um, This one is about a girl whose father has passed, her mother is ill, and she's sort of taken on the role of raising her two younger sisters. And she was basically like a chess prodigy, but she stopped playing, and we don't know why, when she was 14. And her best friend convinces her to do this, like, um like team chess tournament and she she does it because her best friend asks her to and she ends up matched with the number one ranking chess player in the world and she beats him and he's sort of flummoxed and this sort of not enemies to lovers but like kind of enemies to lovers thing happens um i have loved chess forever um if you had asked me in middle school or high school what my favorite movie was I would have told you that it was <laughs> searching for Bobby Fisher. And maybe I was saying that. Where is he? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Do you guys remember that SNL skit? Do you get with the cheerleaders? Stop. Will Farrell and Katie oh, yes. O'Terry. Yes, yes. Bobby Fisher. Where is he? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Anyways, this was a really enjoyable book and I loved it. We'll see if I love it. I don't know. I have it in my stack. So I'm glad to know it's 18 plus um, because it is billed as YA and I teach YAs. So I will not pass this one to my YAs. I wouldn't. Okay. I'm reading a book that could be passed to the YAs. I'm reading My Life with the Walter Boys, which on December 7th will be coming out as a Netflix TV show. And it's about you know the typical girl who gets orphaned and then moves in with her mom's best friend who has 11 sons typical right um so she goes to a new york city all girls private school where she wears a uniform every day and then her parents die in a car accident and and her sister and she gets shipped to like her mom's college best friend who she doesn't really know because her uncle is like i travel too much for work and i can't take care of you and i'm supposed to be your guardian so she's like the next best thing and they live in this like rambling kind of weasley house where it's like they just kept adding on the more kids that they had and they live on a farm and they're all kind of rough and tumble and they're like the kings of the school and she like does not know how to act behave what to say she's never gone to public school she's never gone to school with boys before she's never lived with boys before so she's like it's like the total fish out of water situation and i can already tell that two of the boys like her one is like older and teasing her and the other is younger and looking out for her so one's like kind of her sidekick mentor and she's probably going to break his heart and the other one is like brooding and has all the girls like flailing all over them and she's going to be dumb enough to pick that one i'm guessing that's my guess anyway um 
it's just the way it's leaning right now, like 50, 60 pages in. Um, but it's definitely fun. And I think that there's going to, I would assume, although the, they've done terrible promo work for this show, if I'm being honest, like I've barely seen anything for it. Um, and I had to go to more than one bookstore to get the book, which is like a little lame considering it's like a week out from being on Netflix and then it's probably going to blow. But the same thing happened with me for Heartstopper. I couldn't get my hands on the books, which those are first published in the UK. So I guess that's a little different, but also December 7th, last volume of Heartstopper. Can't wait for that. Um, so yeah, I'm totally on board with these book to Netflix TV shows. They do a nice job and I'll let you know how it is and pass it along. But right now it is very, like I could hand it to any sixth grader right now and it wouldn't be out of control. Um, they would probably just be like, oh my God, who's she going to pick? Like, that's kind of the vibe. It seems pretty innocent so far. I will keep you posted on if that turns. Feels very inheritance gamesy. The uh, Yeah, there's a vibe. Triangle between the brothers. I am, shock of shocks, reading a nonfiction book right now um, called Glossy, which is by Marissa Meltzer. It is about the creation of the brand Glossier, the beauty brand. And people of a certain age may remember that the founder of Glossier, Emily Weiss, made her debut into the public consciousness as a Teen Vogue intern on the MTV show The Hills, went on to found this company. And Marissa is an amazing writer. She's a journalist originally and has written for an incredible number of publications. Um, and this reads sort of like an extra long article for the cut where it's like part factual history telling of the founding and then a lot of gossip, but backed up gossip because she interviewed hundreds of people for this book. So if you liked Intern Emily or you like the beauty brand, I think you will tear through this. It's very fast paced, um, tons of cultural references to different things that were happening all throughout the years that it was kind of blowing up. Um, and it goes all the way up until like, honestly present day because it was just published a few weeks ago so you will know you won't be like oh i wonder what's happening now you'll know it's great so if you want to keep tabs on what we're reading and excited about during this holiday season um you can follow us on instagram plans are booked we love to post memes on there please send us ones that you think are funny we just usually find them from our favorite bookstores or we send them to each other throughout the day. Things that we just think are funny because there are tons of us out there that are just dweeby readers that, you know, this is how we live. And so give us a follow. Send us some funny memes at plans are booked. Or if you want to email us, plans are booked at gmail.com. Um, and until then, our plans are booked.